0: the markets. We just can't get enough of them.
1: Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy.
0: Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost.
1: I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com.
0: Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues And scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice please speak to your personal financial
1: advisor welcome to magic markets
0: this totally magical podcast is brought to you by a ghost and a dude called mo as well as herenia capital advisors a registered financial services provider FSP number 47080 Herenia Capital Advisors is setting the new standard for stockbroking services Herenia is by traders for traders visit Herenia.co.za to find out more Welcome to episode 44 of Magic Markets and the third in the Herenia September series, which we are really, really enjoying. In case you haven't noticed, it's it's been a favorite of ours. So, Pietri joins us once again uh, from Herenia. And uh, Mo, as ever, my co-host all the way from Canada. Uh, Mo, hello. And Pietri, hello.
1: Ghost, always a pleasure to host us with you. Pietri, great to have you back on the show. Uh, It's because we didn't get through the massive interest that we've seen in Herenia on social media, you know, guys have been using the hashtag September and Magic Markets is about holding, you know, our, ourselves to account. Uh, we told our listeners we'd give them access, we'd give them the ability to ask questions directly of you. Uh, listeners of the show that have listened to the previous two episodes, and if you haven't, please go back and do that, will know that we just ran out of time. It's not just because Pietri talks a lot, but it's also because there's a lot of interest, uh, and we wanted to make sure that our listeners got the value for their time of you know sitting here listening to Magic Market. So, Pietri, welcome back on the show. Uh, it's because we won't let you off too easy. That's why you're back here.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. I promise I will try and keep my answers short and concise and not ramble for hours.
0: Well, I tell you what. Let's let's uh, let's start with short and concise and quick. So, Pietri, I would like to know your quickest and worst and most painful and most hideous loss in the market. <laughs> Uh, it's an unfair advantage that i can ask this because we were talking about it off air so i know what the answer is and i know that it's spectacular so
2: all right so true story um reik if you're listening i was on the phone to you in fact talking on at uh radio lunchtime commentary at 12 o'clock or whatever um i was that day trading from home and um i saw uh you know some people chatting on skype and that kind of stuff there was just an eruption about stein of stein and this was way after the stein of collapse the stein of was trading at i think it was still in that sort of 83 cents 80 cents range at that stage and i you know just saw stein of stein of whatever whatever i didn't really look i didn't really think i was talking to rake so i just bought i don't know like eighty thousand shares or something and in a space of about seven minutes that thing it whipsawed me. It bounced up 20 cents, down 20 cents, up 20 cents, down 20 cents. I was long, short, long, short. I must have done maybe five, six trades in that five, five or so minute gap. And I lost 83 while I was doing radio, dude.
0: That clicking you were doing 80, last week. You 30, weren't 000, joking. Man. You're not shy to trade when you're on these things. Sorry, how much did you lose? Just say it's a <laughs> 83 high. grand. 83,000 yeah. rand. Probably less than five minutes, yeah.
2: Ouch. That one that one left a, a, a,
0: a little cavity in my chest A small family for car in five minutes. Yeah. On. Yeah. Okay, now I have to ask you to be fair. Your best memory. Quickest money made.
2: Quickest money made. Uh, I was traveling from Cape Town. I was visiting up in Joburg. I was staying at my mom's house. I was lying in bed. Uh, I had my laptop open, Tradesys open. There was somebody sent a WhatsApp. Viceroy just put a report out on, on Capitec. I just sold three hundred shares. I went to I was like, No ways, it's not true. They said, Go look on Twitter, go look on Twitter, I see it, it's really there, I come back, I wanna sell more and it's a volatility auction already. So five minutes pass, uncrossed is like hundred and eighty bucks down. I think I made forty five or fifty grand in like seven minutes. Yeah. And then there were a couple of other big days which would be like Ten Cent result days, you know, if Tencent puts out numbers in China, there's usually some fireworks. Tencent a nice person on this side could do hundred bucks in a straight line up or down. So there were some big trades there also um, that are very quick and, and feisty. Uh, but generally I wouldn't I wouldn't advise trading in bed. Oh, well, you wouldn't advise other trading other on the floor.
0: Uh, on the phone rather. I think that's the problem. Your bed trading yeah. was better. It was your phone <laughs> bed trading. Bed trading is
1: better. Was I mean I
2: literally just closed my laptop and went back to sleep.
1: I mean that's 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 just <laughs> yeah. super fascinating. I mean we, we talked about this gamification of markets and and how, you know, there's a, an entire generation of people trading off their smartphones from the beach. Uh, some of them know what they're doing. Some of them don't know what they're doing. Uh, and we've discussed this. You've earned your stripes. Now, I think, in fairness, you know, uh, to highlight these trades that you're talking about are your own personal trades. That's not the way you necessarily manage money. And I, I think it ties in to a question that we had gotten from uh, from 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 someone on social media, saying, you know, what is the track record that you've achieved? Uh, how does that work within the Herenia? architecture and framework because obviously you know everyone has their own risk tolerance their own risk appetite maybe just talk us through that you know uh, and and contextualize that within some of these very sensational stories of you know big losses big gains how does that marry with your risk appetite and then how does that marry with the herenia community and your clients
2: okay so there's a couple of there's a couple of questions layered in there i think um starting with my sort of personal track record i think it's like a roller coaster ride. Um, obviously, I started off knowing very little. So there were many years of just straight losing. Uh, at some point that kind of, you know, stabilizes a little bit. And then you start building that equity curve slightly higher, and then you try a new style. So the wheels fall off again. Uh, so there's been a lot of up and down and, and very, very hard lessons learnt. I think I'm still around. So that I guess says enough, I've been at least involved in markets in about 12 for about 12 or 13 years now. So still being here, I think, is an achievement for me at least uh, in my personal capacity. Uh, in terms of managing client money, uh, I should maybe just disclose that Herenia does hold a Category 2 FSP license. So that means we are, uh, in layman's terms, hold an asset management license. So we are allowed to, to obviously you know manage people's money. Uh, we've been running some model portfolios with real client money uh, since last year. Uh, our portfolio started on the 23rd of March. So epic timing. I guess if you go back and look at your charts uh, And that portfolio is uh, US dollar based uh, It is offshore. It holds almost no tech stocks some tech exposure to China, but only f- more recently uh, And it is no leverage Currently sitting around 25% cash, which is the lowest amount of cash. It's had uh, since inception And that portfolio is up 38.63 percent net of fees so that includes management and performance fees uh, that has been taken from that account i don't know if that answers all the questions
1: I, i think you've touched on the key points i think it's very important is that you know even within that reasonably conservative framework as you indicated you know with a reasonably high cash holding within that particular fund that is a A very respectable performance i also think you know maybe just for the the listeners benefit you know who is your it's a model portfolio that's how you you manage the money in in global markets but who's your ideal client so what's the profile of client that would match that portfolio from a a risk appetite and risk tolerance perspective
2: i guess this is like a medium risk portfolio so we do three portfolios essentially um on the offshore side we do basically just a long-term offshore equity portfolio which is a very sort of defensive portfolio. I think the attitude, um, well, the attitude that we have is that, you know, we have to consider people work really, really, really very hard for this money. And in some cases uh, it's pension money that they've unlocked from their pension funds or whatever the case, we have to be very respectful with it and very conservative with it and make sure we only allocate capital into the best possible ideas. Right. Um, So sometimes clients are somewhat um, impatient i want to say well i've got so much cash in my account why aren't you using it because we're waiting for the right moment right um and i I mean i wish you asked me performance last week it is tuesday the 21st of september the day after the s p 500 fell (laughs) so really hard and is again
0: negative on the day um, but you did get so, in after the COVID drop, Petri. So you can't complain yeah, too yeah, much yeah, yeah, about yeah. the timing. Yet you've done okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: we've done okay. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah. So I think for the for the offshore stuff is I mean the the accounts are relatively chunky. So our minimum is thirty five thousand dollars for us to manage your offshore account, um, and a lot of that is just based in we need to be able to diversify the portfolios properly uh, with smaller amounts. I um, mean even, even at the we you know. The, the our offshore trading fees are relatively low. But even at a very low fee, fee structure, smaller accounts are very difficult to adequately manage risk, because diversification becomes very expensive in transaction fees. So that's why we we do slightly chunkier uh, account size on the offshore side. Locally, what we've just done is actually um, with Parasec created an equity index basket, uh, which is a um, an ability, you know, clients can open an account with Renia, they can then uh, you know, we then open a Persec account for them, and then we put their funds into uh, an equity index basket or a note, uh, and then we can consolidate that all into one uh, large. I'm trying very hard not to say the word fund, um, but uh, we can put it in one basic, like a little fund, and then we can uh, manage the accounts from there. Minimum deposits for that for those portfolios have historically been uh, half a million rand as well. 500,000 rand. But now with the equity index basket structure, we, we, we might bring that down. We're looking at at bringing it down a little bit. And then the third portfolio we do is a actively managed sort of trading portfolio, uh, where we do play a little bit in derivatives and that kind of stuff. That's also fairly new. That's only been going for about four months and is currently up around 6%. The, the equity stuff is much longer cycles and decision-making processes is where the trading stuff is a bit more active. So that's up around uh, 6%. And uh maybe just under. And I don't think that's too bad if you if you consider the markets down over the same period. Um, at least all the is. And um yeah, I think that's that's basically it. Oh, minimum deposit for that is currently at two hundred thousand because we do use a bit of leverage so we can obviously it's a lot riskier. So the profile for that, you know, the two equity profiles are more conservative long term uh investors, uh, and then the the actively managed trading portfolio is for those who are looking for high growth and do not mind a bit of volatility.
1: Do you have a flat fee type of structure across the different portfolios, or does that differ in each individual portfolio? Uh,
2: No, so there is a flat fee. Uh, Offshore portfolios are 1% per annum to manage, with a 20% performance fee of outperformance above the benchmark, which is the all country world index. It is not an easy index to beat, I'll have you know. Uh, It has doubled in the time that our portfolio is only up 40%. So... For context, although we have not been fully invested, as a disclaimer, nonetheless, uh, facts are facts. Um, the same benchmarking and management fee applies locally, except management fee locally because of the EIB structure is slightly higher, so it's a 1.5% management fee. But the same benchmarking is applied uh, to the equity portfolios and to the trading portfolios. We use a high watermark principle, so we share a we charge a performance fee on you know any profit generated above the watermark. So if we get your account from say 250 to 300k, uh, if we draw down to 280 and get it back to 300, we share, we obviously make no performance fee, only above 300 do we once again start um, taking a, a percentage of the, the return. Also, I advise to just disclaim all the performance here is net of fees.
0: Not easy to beat an equity benchmark with a big cash piece as a as a bit of a risk mitigator and giving you some space to move, that's for sure.
2: Look, if I could just Put, put a note in here. Um, I would rather underperform the benchmark than lose the money. 100%.
0: Listening to all of that and listening to the minimum account sizes and everything else, would you say that, I mean, what ends up happening in practice? Does someone come to you and say, listen, I've worked for 20, 25, 30 years. I want to learn about trading now. And I come with a whole lot of money. And I'd like to make sure that that money is managed properly. And I would like to manage 50K of my own money and trade with it and learn and then release some across. I mean, is that what kind of typically ends up happening? Or, you know, what is the customer avatar of Hirenia look like?
2: I want to say there's really two types of customers There's obviously the very active trading guys who are um, very involved in the community and, you know, very active on the trading side, we have some really low fee structure accounts there as well. Uh, So those are the very active traders. Uh, Then there are, you know, the customers that come and say, Well, look, I'll start you off with $50,000, see how you go. And as time goes by, they'll every few months phoning up and, and give you some more, right. So those are, I want to say the sort of the two primary clients, we do have a number of different clients who, you know, we manage a local portfolio as well as an offshore portfolio. And then they also trade their own accounts, both locally and offshore. And obviously, you know, we, we do the, the bulk of it while they do uh, a smaller portion. And obviously, as they, you know, become more experienced and want it's their money at the end of the day, as they want to take over management of their own cash, more and more, we, we let them do that. So it's kind of a it's kind of a mix. So I don't think we have a real, you know, specific client archetype, if you will. We've got a broad mix of people from, you know, very young uh, guys who are just leaving university uh, and are very, very, very keen on this. And, you know, for so for them, we might uh, waive the minimums, if you will. And then we have, uh, you know, a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs, um, people who are able to to spend a lot of time trading. And then there's the more investor type who, uh, I don't know, maybe like my long hair saw me on TV or something, and like, hey, here's some money, run it for me. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird diverse mix. I don't know how to answer that, to be honest.
0: Uh, I think there's always a core customer of any business, and there's always going to be deviations from that. And I think it's it's useful for people to understand what that looks like.
1: Yeah, so I mean, purely P- P- that's that's nice because you know I've said time and time again on the show. A diversity of views, backgrounds are really what make for a, a much richer markets experience. Um but I mean if we can go to another question from from, from a follower that is related to that and that is you know, what is your favorite asset class to trade? Is it just equities? You know, you've mentioned options on the show. We've seen that equity options and so forth, I'm assuming. But, you know, do you does Herenia trade other asset classes? Uh, is it just an equity centric business? And, you know, what is your favorite asset class to trade? And if it's equities, you know, is there a particular market that is your favorite or, or where you would like to look at as your kind of default go-to market?
2: So it's absolutely equities, I think, is the, the answer to that. It's just kind of, you know, I mean, I know I started my journey playing Forex demo accounts, <laughs> you know, um, as most people did, I suppose. But yeah, no, I, th- I very quickly moved to equities. And I think equities is is definitely the favorite asset class to trade. It makes the most sense. You can get direct market access. You can see your order going into the central order book. You know, you're trading against a real person. Right. Um, so absolutely, that's that's equities. Uh, obviously, Johannesburg Stock Exchange has been a big part of my life for, for very many years. Now, as I'm growing and I'm trying to, you know, grow the little business and do the whole, uh, you know, mature into an asset manager thing, uh, I'm spending more and more time on the U.S. market. Um, I think there's a lot of advantages there. Liquidity is one. Um, you know, you can throw 000, 000 at a million dollars at at a stock, and you're not going to move it. Right? You do that with a small cap in. On the JSE, you might move at 30% um, on a relatively small trade. If you if you uh, you know think about it in in the bigger market U.S. context, right? So, yeah, I think equities is by far the best uh, for me at least. Uh, and equities also offers access to other things. So with ETFs, for example, you can buy um, you know commodities, physical commodities, commodity futures. Uh, you can buy, um, sort of hedging structures, inverse ETFs, for example, you can get sectoral exposure. You can also do fixed income stuff. So ETFs, I mean, as much as they are in equity, you are, they are a great diversifier as well in your, in your portfolios.
0: ETFs can be incredibly exciting. I mean, we've had some shows previously with guests like Narina, and uh, we've talked about it. ETFs can get really interesting and they can, especially overseas. I mean, there's even some inverse ETFs, uh, that I looked at today, you know, just, there's always something to learn. And there's always something to to see. The U.S. is just bigger. I've learned the hard way with bid offer spreads on JSC, small and even mid caps, but especially small caps. I mean, you can be right, but you've got to be right by 20% to get out the spread, and it's 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 quite disheartening. It's
2: not, it's not always practical, particularly if you're small and you've got to cover like a minimum trade tra- trade fee, right? So settlement straight minimum trade cost through the brokers, like you know, plus all the taxes and stuff. It comes to 220 bucks, and you want to buy five thousand rands worth of a stock and you've just paid, you know, two and a half percent brokerage, it's
0: it's ridiculous. And that's just in. <laughs> you know, and you've got to get out too you got to get out, exactly. One of the other questions from a listener was around options, uh, which is another point. You know, the only thing that gets people more excited than talking about trading is talking about options. And obviously that is, you know, we could do 30 shows on options and there are podcast series in this world dedicated to options. So one of the questions was any tips for option trading? I'm guessing the tip is probably don't do it unless you've gotten, <laughs> <laughs> gotten you know, really up to speed with it. But I want to ask you a more practical question because we just don't have time to get into the details. Can you trade options on South African stocks, I think is the bigger question. You
2: can if you are, if you have really deep pockets. So the, the, the options market in South Africa is very small, if you will, uh, which means that the nominal sizes of the contracts that you trade are massive. So, you know, you want to take a call option on a mid to large cap company. You've got to put half a million rands with the margin down for your, for your contract. So that's not really accessible to the retail trader, if you will um it's more you know that's kind of more of the, the space in which the funds play and the hedge funds and the unit trusts and that kind of stuff so in the us it's obviously way 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 different i mean you can trade i'm starting to trade a little bit more options well you know it's a lot of learning so i've been trying to learn this option game for for about two years maybe a bit longer uh in the us now um and i'm still just kind of messing around in my pa account you know um riding that roller coaster as you learn the lessons right but there you can buy options for, you know, as low as a dollar an option. So times a hundred, it's a hundred dollar uh, premium. Uh, so if you get it wrong, you lose a hundred dollars. But if you get it right, you, you might make, you know, a thousand dollars kind of thing. Uh, so it is a lot more liquid and accessible in the U.S., but not practical for us to use in South Africa. You can do warrants and stuff here, but I wouldn't really recommend them, to be honest.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, goes just something to add to that. I mean, I, I was going to touch on the point of warrants because, you know, I think one of the earliest uh, non-vanilla instruments I'd come across in the South African market was, was warrants. When I just started out my career and I think the biggest player in that space back then was Standard Bank, you know, and t- to Pietri's point, uh, it takes a lot more school fees to cut your teeth in the options market. For one particular point that I want to raise, because I, I've I've traded options, I've traded vanilla, I've traded a whole bunch of stuff, even while I was still at a bank in, in South Africa. And with stocks, for example, there's a, a single vector, and that's the price that you're watching. With options, it's more complex than that. You're watching price as a vector, you're watching volatility as a vector, you're watching the time value. So a lot of people don't realize it. if you bought an option today, and you just held it like a stock, and you held it to its maturity and nothing happened, that there's an aspect of time decay in the options. I don't want to go into the details, all I want to say to the listener is, there's a lot more complexity, you're not just watching the price vector like you're watching on stocks, Uh, just make sure that you know exactly what you're dealing with when you're going into options because it's not just leveraged, but that you're dealing with a lot more variables in terms of where the price of an option could possibly go.
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of learning you have to do before you you get involved with that stuff. There's a lot of books I think that's worth reading and a few courses worth taking. I think it's a it's a fair warning, Mo, to 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 put that warning out there because I've had more options trades for go to zero uh, than I've had, you know, actually pay off or expire in the money. Let me put it that way. Most of the the profitable trades that I've done on on options have been because I've closed the option before expiring.
0: Yeah. I'm going to ask the next question because otherwise it sounds like Mo wrote it, which is not true. It was actually from someone else. Macro indicators, literally just a minute or so. Are there any key macro indicators that you track? And that could be like, I don't know, US payrolls or, you know, what kind of macro stuff are you watching regularly?
2: I think it depends on the major market theme. So there's not really one thing that I build a model around, you know. Um, so there are people that are out there that are much smarter than me that are building these models uh, that generate signals. And I would rather read their research <laughs> <laughs> than, than try to emulate the uh, some of the models that they build. So people like Mo, for example, um, have a very valuable piece or a very valuable piece of the, of the overall puzzle. Uh, I think that there are a couple of things that are very interesting. Stuff that I've been watching more closely recently, though, is stuff like the um, the VIX term structure. So that's looking at the uh, what the volatility index levels are at various different expiries. So one day VIX, three day VIX, one week VIX, one month, three month, nine six month, one twelve month, whatever, and looking at that term structure and seeing how that term structure moves. Um, that can be a quite a good buy indicator when the when the term structure inverts. I don't want to go into too much detail here. I guess you can Google this stuff. It's pretty easy to find if you if you Google just some of the stuff that I just said. Uh, so that's relatively interesting. Also, recently, uh, you know, something that's been definitely on the radar is uh, COVID infection rates and uh, vaccination rates and death rates and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, also, inflationary uh, inflation data, CPI data has been very important of late. Um, What I think is a bit more important than CPI at this stage, well, CPI is obviously going to lead the Fed into making the decision. FOMC is ongoing at the moment, so we'll find out tomorrow what the the minutes say. But, um, you know, for example, that tapering program, the rate at which they're buying uh, bonds, for example, is very, very important. Um, Credit impulse in China is also something that's been very topical of late. The stuff that I watch, I guess, varies as the market continuously changes. You know, I rely on um, on research a lot of the time uh, that you have to, in many cases, pay for the good stuff, right? And, uh, you know, I, I just try and absorb as much as I can and try and put the puzzle together and from there say, okay, well, what are the things that, I'm, that I really should be watching? So what I'm watching, for example, is policy around, global policy around nuclear power. Uh, which countries are... Changing policies in which ways in order to make nuclear power uh, you know a bigger part of our lives, and we can see even South Africa today uh, saying that they want to uh, you know go ahead with a with a you know building a power station. so that type of stuff is the, is very dependent, I think on whatever the sort of major macro theme is at the time
1: thanks it's it's been great. I think just in the interest of time I, I want to ask one kind of pressing market related question that that a follower sent us. And that is, you know, we know that taper is is coming. We know the Fed's been speaking. You've referred to that. You know, what's what's the technical setup look like to you? I've been following some of your social media commentary. We've all seen that infamous wedge on the S and P five hundred. In fact, I wrote about it on my newsletter last week, saying enough about the infamous S and P wedge, right? What is your view on where U S. and then it broke? Not exactly, right? I'm like, we know it's broken. It's broken. What are the levels of support you're looking at? This is a question. What are the levels of support you're looking at on major U.S. indices if the Fed taper kicks off? And you know, perhaps it's a question of if the Fed taper kicks off as well as if inflation is really the problem and results in the hiking of rates that everyone seems to be afraid of uh, in, in in the market.
2: Okay, so I'll try. I'll try. I promise I'll try to keep it short. Um, it's very hard to sort of identify a specific level. If you want to use like... Pure technical analysis uh, if the wheels fall off the bus we're looking at um, actually let me look at the actual I'm looking at the ETF uh, so if the wheels properly fall off the bus we're looking at for 3400 as a support level on the S&P 500 so that is a thousand points down which is approximately what 25% from where we are now uh, it's a long it's a mighty long way down right um, so that's the, what the chart says is the support level at this stage. I think what is important to watch from the Fed is not necessarily, you know, that they're going to taper or how much they're going to taper, but how much or how much of runway are they going to give the market before they start? So how clearly do they communicate their intention to the market and what time frame that takes place over? If they come out tomorrow and say, we're tapering starting in October, the market is going to roll over very hard almost said some bad words there uh broke almost broke the cardinal rule but if they say look you know we are thinking about thinking about tapering maybe in november um you know then the market's going to probably respond very positively to that so i think what's more important is to watch the wording that the fed uses and how much guidance that they're they're currently giving us versus what the actual numbers are um a lot of the time You know, stocks move or markets move not necessarily based on the actual fact, but rather what the expectation of that fact was before the fact was known. You know, we expect earnings to be up 10 percent. Earnings come out 12 percent higher. Boom. It shoots the light out. We expect earnings to be up 400 percent. Earnings comes up 300 percent. It's disappointing. You know, the actual fact is they made 300% more money than they did last time. But, you know, it's disappointing because it's it's less than what the market expected. So that is really, I think, something to watch.
1: I think, you know, just to to, to touch on some of the points there, because it, it ties into a point you had made earlier. And it's why, again, listeners that are interested in taking this to the next level, you know, go out there, have a look at Harenia, check them out. Is that you've got to look at a whole variety of indicators. It's about the narrative. It's about how positioning is in the market. I mean, to some of those macro indicators we're speaking about, you know, you can go and have a look at, is positioning heavy? What's the market priced for? And you can look at that on futures or you could look at that on options. There's, There's so much out there. And it's why people like Pietria out there with a team, with a community, looking at all of these indicators, aggregating that information. And it's not to say that any specific person has the absolute right answer at any point in time. It's about putting that information onto the platform empowering you as the trader to go out there digest this information and make your decisions accordingly so you know pietri i just want to thank you from my side i think we're out of time uh, i'll i will hand over to ghost to wrap up the show but from me herenia september has been great we've got one more show after this uh, and we're going to you know really close this off quite nicely for our listeners who have missed out on this amazing series It's slightly out of character of what we've covered in Magic Markets before in that we generally tend to only focus on investors and investment, the longer-term story. Trading is a very large component of how a lot of people manage their money, and that is why we saw some specific value in bringing on the voices from Herania, like Pietri. Uh, and again, in the next show, you'll be hearing from one of his colleagues uh, to share some of these views. So go out there, check out Herania, September, the suite of four episodes. Uh, that will be the total kind of closed off suite once we're done with this. Uh, and Pietri, thanks. It's been great having you on the show. And we look forward to, to hosting you and your team on the next show as well. Thank you very much, Mo. Much appreciated.
0: Mo, Pietri, thank you. And from our side to our listeners, please remember to rate the show. We always love seeing a nice comment come through on, on Apple Podcasts or whatever it is you, you choose to listen to. It really helps and uh, it shows other people that it's worth them taking their time to listen to all this stuff. So thank you very much and you'll hear from us again next week. Pietri, Mo, cheers. This totally magical podcast is brought to you by a ghost and a dude called Mo, as well as Herenia Capital Advisors. A registered financial services provider, FSP number 47080. Herenia Capital Advisors is setting the new standard for stockbroking services. Herenia is by traders for traders. Visit herenia.co.za to find out more. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please. Consult your personal financial advisor.